Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of UAP Studies Podcast. Uh, we've been interviewing a lot of people lately from the TV world, uh, television programs, things like that. And we wanted to get some perspective on, is there any infighting? I mean, there's competition, money involved in this. Do these guys all get along or are they just fighting with each other? So I wanted to know about that. Also, uh, this gentleman has had some very interesting perspectives on some famous sighting cases, uh, so much to the point that it, there's more to it than we think, even though it's old information. Uh, and we even dive into things, uh, hopefully, about um, poltergeists, demons, uh, high strangeness. That seems to be more of a reoccurring theme more and more all the time. So today's guest is a 20-year veteran at this, very well-spoken Big credentials behind them. Are you excited or what, man? I'm I'm really excited. It's going to be a great episode. I'm really pumped. So let's yeah. get into it right now. Let's make it happen. Welcome back to UAP Studies for another amazing episode. I am Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Jason Gilman. How's it going, my man? It's going really well, buddy. Like yeah. you always say, any Sunday we get to chat about UFOs and weird phenomenon is a good day. So absolutely, uh, it's easy to get jacked up and uh, we're glad to be back. I mean, we're coming on almost 100 episodes. This Ooh. is episode 93. Getting we're close. booked. I think we have another six booked. Uh, and then we have a big 100th uh, anniversary, 100th episode anniversary special coming up planned. So maybe we'll wear some tuxedos, do some champagne or something, eh? Something fancy, <laughs> something fancy. In here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our guest today is a very well-known figure. We got a lot of good feedback on Facebook. People were loving and uh, liking the uh, coming soon to UAP studies. So uh, we have a former MUFON uh, multi-state director, uh, an author, a researcher, uh, and just an overall great guy, well-spoken. So we want to welcome to the show Mr. John Ventre. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. You're uh, very well known. And uh, before we get into, you know, your work and sort of, uh, um, you know, popular cases and things like that, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what got you into UFOs and uh, how that led into MUFON and that type of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, about myself, I, I was a um, executive at UPS and in the area of security and public affairs. And obviously nobody knew I was doing UFO stuff while I was there. But let me let me let me back up and how I got started, though. Uh, differently than almost anybody I've ever talked to is I had no interest in UFOs at all. I was 41 when I got involved in this field. I was a uh, collector of famous monsters of Filmland, uh, you know, Fate magazine. Uh, you know, I've got a horror cons, comic cons. I knew nothing about UFOs and had no interest at all in them. And uh, then in uh, 95, uh, UPS, where I was working, sent me on an 18-month assignment all around the country. So, uh, no, actually, it was, I have to go even earlier than that. Um, it was actually, uh, I got divorced, and that gave me the time to, to look into some other things, so that's when I, I actually, you know, I, I did that assignment around the country in, in 95 and 6, and I started writing my first book, which was, uh, it was about the Mayan calendar and, and, and prophecies and end time prophecies and all of that. So uh, I'm writing that, and uh, I keep coming across different cultures talking about 
you know, uh, star people, people on flying shields. And of course, I'm watching the X-Files because I love everything sci-fi and, and horror. And uh, Sightings was actually one of my more favorite shows, you know, than the X-Files. I say, no, I'm going to join this MUFON thing, you know. And so I, so I joined MUFON in 98. I knew nothing uh, about UFOs. So uh, I'm doing that for a couple of years. And beyond which, I kind of forgot I was a MUFON field investigator because nobody ever sent me any cases for a, mm. a, a, probably three years, you know. So I complained to James Carrion, you know, and I said, you know, what's going on here? I don't get any cases at all. And he says, well, you want to be a state section director? He gave me a bunch of counties around Pittsburgh. I said, okay. And uh, it, it wasn't, uh, I don't know, a month later. He goes, how about, I guess he looked at my profile, head of security, you know, multi-state security director. I had three states, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia, because I kind of played along with MUFA, you know, the way they have multi-state directors. And, uh, you know, and he, and he said, hey, do you want to be the state director? You know, and I'm not trying to throw the previous director under the bus. And I said, yeah. And uh, so I took over uh, MUFON. Uh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Then they gave me five more states. They gave me Delaware, Massachusetts, uh, I can't remember, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, uh, Vermont. I, I had seven states. Quite the so, workload. Oh, yeah. But you know what I demonstrated? Same thing at work is that, and I know how to manage big groups, a lot of people, that type of stuff, is I got it all done. I mean, we were over 95% completed on all our cases. I got everything caught up. And you find other people. You don't. You can't do it yourself, obviously. You f I found the best people in each of those states, and I made them the, you know, assistant state director and, and, and prom just promoted people that, and then not hold them accountable, but just give them the cases and follow up. And we got it done. And, you know, I tell you, the Pennsylvania chapter uh, a few years ago, it was up there in the top five all the time, you know, and it, it was it was a great experience. But, um, you know, and I want to give you a little more background, then I'm going to come into this. So, you know, the rest of my my background is, uh, you know, I've I've written 10 books on five different subjects. They're not all UFOs. I think five of them was UFOs. And I, I started getting involved politically uh, in the county here, ran for county commissioner head of the of the county party. Uh, and I ran for governor this year, um, last year. I campaigned for eight months. And uh, I can tell you that the newspapers deliberately slandered me that I, I put my press release out, you know, that I'm running for governor. They change it. Uh, local resident, former head of a UFO organization running for governor. I didn't say a word about UFOs. I honestly spent, I'd say the first five months trying to convince the Pennsylvania media that MUFON was an unpaid hobby. I never got paid. I used it for research. It was an interest, obviously, but research to write those five books. And, you know, what they were deliberately playing me as though I had no chance to win. Well, guess what? I put the best plan together of any of the candidates and they started taking my bullet points, right? I participated in four debates. I won all four. I beat the other candidates so bad in the second and third debate when we got to the fourth debate and there were 12 of us. 
Only four showed up and two left before the debate started. Now, think about that. These are the guys that want to be governor of the state. They didn't want to debate me. But my point being that, you know, the you even though you think disclosure is coming and, you know, they got Dan Bongino and Tucker and, and Rubio and Jillian, all these Congress people talking about this does not enhance you. If you want to get into a local race and stuff and they know about this, they're going to use it uh, to hurt you and use it against you. And it, it really took me first five months before they stopped talking about former head of a UFO organization and actually started talking about my platform and my resume. I was the only executive. So 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 that's how I got, you know, really, that's the background. That's how I got started and all of that. And then uh, so I joined MUFON in 98 after I was doing my research on that book. And uh, you know, I guess I became the state director. It was 06 or 07. Probably beginning of 07 is when I became the state director. And then we get this huge uh, UFO wave in 08. And, and that was like, boy, you talk about, you know, it just propelled us into the media. And, uh, you know, you want me to tell you about that? In, in yeah, 08? please. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I read every report, obviously, and then I send it to the other, uh, you know, state section directors or assistant directors. So I start seeing here in Pennsylvania uh, some cases, uh, and somebody sent this one to me when they, when it all started, but to put it in order, there was some cases coming out of Lake Erie of objects coming out of Lake Erie in East Lake, Ohio. Ohio is not my area. But as they started showing up here, that's what I'm saying, that per, the Ohio sent me the information. Um, then, and you follow it south, it's, it's, it's in Ohio, it's coming down Route 79, we're getting cases, it's in Wheeling, West Virginia. Then it's across the state, like whatever's coming out is then turning and going across the straight uh, state you know, I got uh, some cases that we got the case in Wheeling and like 20 minutes later, there's a sighting in State College, Penn State, right? Same object, same description. Then it's coming across almost following some of them following the turnpike and they're coming out in Philadelphia and Bucks County. So all of a sudden, it, it's probably May, April into May. Now, this is a state that averages 98 cases a year, let's say, under 100. We get 254 cases in a three-month period. I, it was incredible, the amount of sightings. And I would say 70% of them was in the Bucks County, Philadelphia area. So, so you know, we're working this. And at the time, you know, we're building the chapter up and, and, and you know, we may have had 20 field investigators at the time and Bob Gardner was in Bucks County and he, he must have had a hundred cases himself. So, uh, you know, you know, we're working this, but there's, we, then we move on headquarters calls and says, we're doing a TV show. And James Carrion called me and he said, we got two cases, one in North Carolina, one in uh, Mexico, and we need one more case and yours is becoming big. I said, all right, we'll do that. So, I wouldn't suggest bringing the media in in the middle of an investigation. You want to get that stuff done first. But they were hugely um, helpful because, you know, we try to do stuff and you got to pay for it yourself. 
you know, I'm in Pittsburgh, so I'm driving to Philly. That's 300 miles. And the tolls in this state are the second highest in the country. So you, you, they're not doing you any favors when you go across right. state, you know, and, but they paid for everything. So it turned out really good. So they said, give us your two best cases. And you may have seen these. They were on, I came up to Canada to, for Discovery Science, the Close Encounters show that was yep. airing out of Toronto in Canada. We filmed up there a couple of years later, but this was the Discovery Channel and a new show called UFOs Over Earth. So uh, they came in town and I gave them the two cases and it was the Denise case, the blonde lady that had the, uh, the triangular craft and it was dropping these metallic sprinkles into her tree in the backyard. They were probes. I don't know if you remember the case yep. or not. So that one. And then we had Cliff, who was a retired contractor. And, you know, it's a retired guy living in, I don't know, it's like a $4 million, $5 million home and stuff. And he's saying, John, I've had a, two in particular encounters where I see a mothership. This thing is the size of an aircraft carrier, it, as big as a football field, slowly uh, coming in the sky. And in both cases with Denise and Cliff, the dog starts barking. And woke them up at like three, four in the morning. And, and that's where they go to see what's what's going on. What's the dog so upset about? And uh, so in Cliff's case, he sees this mothership. And uh, that was in April. Then in May, it comes back. And they go outside, his, him and his wife. And there's a heat lightning storm. So the lightning is li lighting up the sky. And he sees a six-sided craft. And it's gigantic. It's taking up you know, two thirds of the sky. And it looks like it's a docking station where you got six triangular, like almost shaped like pizza. You know, they were long, you know, docked in, in a circle there. And he can see through the seams when the lightning flashes, he can see through the seams of it, you know. And, uh, and, and then, you know, it, it seemed to then take off slowly. He goes, John, I don't know how it's staying up in the sky. It's moving 20 miles an hour. And it leaves towards the Northeast. So Bob Gardner goes to the Philadelphia airport and uh, they clear him and, and they let him in. And he, he, he says, what do you have at this time? And they said, we had a large object with no transponder on the screen and it, it went off to the Northeast. It matched exactly what Cliff said. Then the thing was, how do we get the radar and, and at the same time this discovery channel is with us they're making all these contacts and trying to get the radar and all of that and um it, you know what's funny is we filmed the denise episode and i'll tell you about that in a second we filmed it first and at the cliff uh episode uh no excuse me that was all done at the same time with discovery i'll tell you about ufo hunters next we did denise first and then cliff but uh so, um, so that all matched up. We couldn't get, by the time Discovery filming ended for that show, we were in the process of, of I was filing foyers, trying to get them in writing to say what they have. And the foyers were coming back. It was beyond the record retention uh, period and they had nothing. So I said, what's going on here? You know, my guy went up to the tower and they showed it to him and they won't give him any, any evidence. Now, the Denise case, uh, she, 
there was about four times she went out, saw a triangular craft, and it had a light on each of the three sides. And one time it came close to the house and it dropped these metallic sprinkles into her tree. She said it looked like Christmas. It was the tree was lit up, right? And then they just got like a magnet, they got pulled back up. And I, I would say they were probes, is what they were. They they got pulled back up into the tree. So she tells us, and this is where uh, Discovery Channel was helpful. They pay for the labs to analyze it. So Bob cuts the leaves, some leaves off the tree. Then he takes other samples from other trees across the street, the other corner of the uh, backyard, and we send it to the labs. Well, a uh, couple of different labs. Uh, the one lab comes back and says the leaves were subject to uh, high heat or radiation just her tree, not the others, right? And, and it, that produces a natural enzyme called an, anthrocyanine. So here we got trace evidence, right? Yep. Um, then we, we, we sent it to uh, another lab. She found, she found something on the leaves and, and, and that one turned out to be bird urine. So, but Linda Moulton, how I got her involved and she was saying this, this lines up with a, a case she had in Nevada, but it, it didn't turn out to be the, the phosphorus on it didn't turn out to be what, what we, uh, we thought it would be. So then the third lab looks at it and they find high levels of boron on the leaves, you know, and, and I said, well, you know, boron, you know, isn't boric acid and fertilizer. And they said, Boric, we would have checked, we checked for boric acid. It's not boric acid, it's boron. So I look up what's boron used in? It's used in stealth fighters. It's used to line, it paints and, and uh, enamels in nuclear reactors. Well, what is this doing on her tree? So yeah. I, asked, I asked Denise, in your spice cabinet, do you have boron? Of course, she had no <laughs> idea what I was talking about. She goes, what, <laughs> boron, what's that? But, you know, but we had all this trace evidence on that tree. And um, so we got what we, what we needed. But, the, you know, Discovery Channel paid for those labs and all of that. So, you know, and that's the hard thing with MUFON. It was like if we didn't have their help, I, you know, I would have had the story. But, you know, maybe we would have gone to a local college then and asked them to look at the leaves. I don't think we would have had what we had. But, uh, you know, so that show ended. And like I said, we had so many cases there uh, that we investigated. So it's like a couple of months later now, Bill Burns contacts me and he lives close by. He's only 10 miles. So he's following this in Bucks County. And he goes, John, we need you for a UFO and an uh, episode on UFO hunters. And I said, yes, my favorite show. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, I go out there and we meet him there and we do the Denise case. And he does some different things. Gets the, uh, a um, a police sergeant, and they and they do sketches. They interview all the people, and all the sketches were the same, that type of stuff. So, so he took a little different angle. But then the interesting thing is, you know, I'm still trying to get the uh, FOIA reports from uh, the FAA, and they're they're lying to me, saying they don't have anything, right? So. I get a call from the town. We did the Denise episode. We're still filming it. I'm driving down the turnpike to finish up the Denise episode. Three weeks later, we're going to do Cliff. And I get a, a call from the Philly Tower saying, you can come up to the tower and interview us. So I called the producer of the show. 
uh, John Greenwald was the, was the producer. And he goes, wait a minute, let me call uh, history. And they said, no, you can't. We're doing this one. You can't break off and start the second one. We're going to do that in three weeks. So I call that producer, Kevin Berry. And he goes, I'll get back to you. It's about a half hour later. He calls back. He goes, John, I got bad news. The uh, New York FAA said, uh, we're not allowed up to the Philly Tower. So they squashed it. I'm driving. I'm probably at Harrisburg at that point, And I'm moving on to Philly. I get another call 20 minutes later. Oops. Sorry, John. The episode's been canceled. The episode was canceled. And that's the one that we had radar evidence for. Right. But I, I keep pursuing this because I said, you know what? The woman at the tower there was helpful in charge, the supervisor, whatever she was. So I keep talking to her and uh, I find out from MUFON, Glenn Schultz, I don't even know if he's still with us or, or not. Um, he tells me the procedure on the radar. So I tell her, you got it. It's in a disc, it's in the file drawer. And you know, if you ran an efficient office, you would be able to, you have it. It's not maybe right out in front of you, but you file it, right? So we get into it. She mails me the disc with the radar that the FAA is saying they don't have, right? Oh, wow. With a note that says, uh, we run an official office and, and I can't remember the exact wording, but here's the radar. So I take it, I send it to Glenn Schultz. He's able to pull, I think eight screens, six or eight screens. And you have the, the green is the objects without a transponder. And there it is, it's on the screen, right? So we, we, we finally got it. So, um, so then uh, in her notes says, we run an efficient office and all that. And all of that. And, uh, but Glenn said that the, the disc was, was corrupt. They taped over, the, over it before they sent us the disc. Now think about that. And her next note to me says, wow, I'm surprised you were able to get anything off that screen. Why would you say that when I told They're you? Just I just messing with you, man. Yeah. Oh, they didn't think we could pull it. Yeah. Is what it was. So I said, "Wow, what a reaction!" And I have all of that, and I give a presentation on it. I kept it. I put it in my PowerPoint, you know. And so you sent me to this, but you didn't expect me to get anything. And when I got the the, the slides, you you said, "Wow, I'm surprised you were able to pull anything off of that." Well, you copied over it, thinking you crushed it, you know. And uh, and they removed some columns of information and all of that. But uh, so I got all of those uh, foyer requests. I got the disc. I got everything to prove that the radar matched up. And in the Denise case, you know, we were able to prove that uh, she had trace evidence on that. And, you know, that was so cool to get started in MUFON, be the state director. And a year later, you're in, you're on the Discovery Channel. And, you know, the producer, Sarah Kozak, we met with her and she goes, John, we're going international with this show and we're going to, uh, you know, we may need you. And I said, well, I got, look, I got like... Uh, five years to retire and I got six weeks vacation and I'm not quitting my job, you know, but, uh, but it, you know, it turned out that the three episodes aired on discovery and the way it was presented, there was like, almost like debunking, uh, you know, it, like it, it, what, what the producer of my episode did was bring a, another botanist on and, and dispute uh, the, the anthrocyanine, the way the leaves had holes in them. And, 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 and it was like they, they gave both sides. They weren't trying to prove that this was alien. 
So it's like we're watching and I'm disappointed. So why are they doing that? Why are they bringing the the skeptic in to say that this is not good? And then there was the episode down in North Carolina and the, the polygraph and the guy failed the polygraph. So, you know, they do three episodes. The third episode they air is um, North Carolina. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name now. And uh, I think he, uh, excuse me, that was the one he failed the polygraph. The third episode was, was uh, Mexico. And it was James Carrion and them launching Mylor balloons to see the reaction of the people and they're getting all kinds of UFO reports. So it was a staged UFO. And us in the field who, who are true believers are watching the show saying, what is this? And they got so many complaints that you didn't do the show right. Why did you do it this way? And, you know, and I spoke to the, the camera guy, the producer, the, the director, I would say. Uh, and I, I said to him, do you believe UFOs are real? And he said, no. So, I mean, I got my answer. And Robert Wise was his name, Bob Wise. He right. did Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, he was a big name producer, uh, director. You know, he did the Unsolved Mysteries show with Robert Stack and all of that. You know, so I said, all right. So that's why it was presented as uh, both sides were presented. It wasn't presented like this was factual. But, you know, then I went on to Toronto. We did, I think, three episodes, Close Encounters. I did the Denise episode on four shows and then i get a call in 2012 weeks before i re i'm retiring so now i figure i'm emboldened i can say anything i want you know so because <laughs> i'm retiring in a couple of weeks they fly me to new york city and you know i grew up in new york i, I grew up in bronx brooklyn queens but i knew manhattan so they, they take me in there and i'm on the anderson cooper show now and, you know i said this is gonna be cool and denise is there and then there's two other uh, girls from Kentucky who were abducted in a totally different case. So I'm there to, to defend the three women. And Joe Nickel is there, the uh, skeptic uh, magazine skeptic on their board. Right. And I, I didn't really know a lot about Joe. I know I had seen him before, but he is the, like the main skeptic that's used. So they put me up against like the best, which didn't matter because I, I did very well against him. And and I you know I, and they didn't even tell me this until I'm there. But let me just digress one second. In third grade, in Flushing Queens, I'm in third grade with Fran Drescher, right? So I have no. She was idea. she was in your class. Yeah, she was in my in Flushing Queens in third grade. So I have no idea who the guest is that's on before me. You had 15 minutes, right? And yeah. I had 45 minutes. So they got me mic'd up and then now it's commercial. Get in there. Who walks out? Fran Drescher. I said, Fran, you know, my mind, like I was shocked. And she goes, oh, hi, how are you? And she kept going and they're pushing me. But she, her and her husband had a UFO encounter. They believed they were abducted, took skin uh, samples. They got those divots and she's very outspoken. In hindsight, I should have said, Fran, Turn around. I was in third grade with you in Flushing. Come on back in. I need your help with these girls. We're going to defend them against the skeptic. What a show that would have been, but I didn't think to say it. I didn't know what I was going getting into that. Again, they were going to try to debunk the whole thing, right. you know? So um, the weird, the bad thing with the Anderson Cooper show was uh, it was pre-taped and 
so they, they air it, I don't know, 10 days later. And I'm sitting there. I remember I went home for lunch. It was his daytime show. And I'm watching it at home. And I say, wait a second. I said this. I said that. They cut probably 70% of the good things I said, the intelligent things. Um, you know, the audience laughed at Joe Nickel. They cut the laughter out. When I said something about defending these women who, who show a lot of fortitude to come forward with their case, they all applauded. They cut that scene out. You know, I brought up uh, the uh, case in uh, O'Hare Airport and, uh, you know, the fact that the that was, uh, he, you know, he said it was a natural phenomenon where the ice comes through the clouds. I said, wait a second. 56... And hovers above, hovers yeah. above the tower. Yeah. Like, yeah, but it was 56 degrees that day. You can't have that ice falling through the clouds if it's 56 degrees. You know, they cut they cut so much out. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a shame because we held our own with Joe Nickel. And, you know, hey, I can say I was on the Anderson Cooper show, but it wasn't the best experience. (laughs) That's the problem with these shows is that they they edit it to... Oh, yeah. follow their narrative and it makes you look like the fool like even yeah. you were mentioning about running for governor all of a sudden they're mentioning oh this guy believes in aliens oh that's you know, yeah. cue the music and, and oh. make you look ridiculous when in fact there's probably something actually there we're not wasting our time we're just oh, absolutely ahead of the curve right so every yeah we were way ahead of the curve and every i never questioned the witness well i'll take that back i was head of security I was trained in uh, body language, behavioral analysis, interviewing. I read your body as I'm questioning you to see if you're getting defensive, that type of stuff. But and, and we're able to prove maybe, you know, five, six, eight percent or made up. And the, the best way on an interview is they're describing what happened and you ask them what happened next? What happened next? If all of a sudden they can't remember and you could see that they're making stuff up, you know, they're making it up, you know, yeah. but I would say, you know, on eight, at least 80% of the cases, they experienced what they experienced, you know, and, and like I said, on our cases there in Bucks County, we got radar and, and we have uh, uh, trace evidence and I got all the reports and a really good, uh, you know, PowerPoint to show step-by-step <laughs> step that that was, those were two real cases. And again, you're also very well known for your appearances on uh, Hangar One, the UFO Files. Yeah, that was yeah, a very yeah. good series. And for those that don't know, it was basically the MUFON Files, and they would reenact these really popular cases. So what we thought we would do at some point today is bring up some popular cases, not to drone on about them forever. Everybody knows what they're about, but just yeah. to get your opinion, right? And yeah. we chatted let, briefly. let me first comment on, on Hangar sure. One. Yeah, yeah, get into that. The main thing with Hangar One was that we had a case file for every one of those cases. Yeah. You know, and this is totally different than ancient aliens, right? Where, you know, to me that a lot of that stuff is, you know, supposition, they're making stuff up, you know, they're substituting uh, aliens for angels in the Bible. You know, there's a lot of, you can't prove anything that they say, very little, right? But our, we had a case file on every one of them. And when and you got to remember the the way this thing flowed, the UFO files were on for three years with Bill Burns. Right. Then it was UFO hunters. uh, Maybe Bill Burns wasn't in that or made some appearances. Then three years of UFO hunters with Bill Burns. Right. Then ancient aliens came out in 2010. So it had already been three years of ancient aliens. We were told if Hangar One successful we would then be the new show 
and Ancient Aliens is gone. And the producer, uh, Paul Villa Deloitte, absolutely believed that. And he kept saying to us in second, the second season, this is the important season. If we do well in the second season, we get the third season and everybody gets paid properly, which is one of the reasons they don't go 10 years with shows because you start paying big bucks to the people in it because yeah. they become celebrities. So I said, okay. So I'm watching, uh, you know, pulling up the ratings and stuff. We're right. We're averaging 1.5, 1.55 million viewers. Ancient Aliens is barely breaking a million, a lot of times under a million. So we got them by a third and they're on at nine. We're on a 10, which is the tougher hour to draw. I said, we're in like Flint, you know? So we're done with season two and we're waiting to hear about season three. We get notified that they dropped Hangar One. I said, how is that possible? Uh, You know, we got a half a million more viewers. Put us on at nine, put Ancient Aliens on at 10. And we would would easily draw on over 2 million people because that was a good show. And uh, their answer was, although you're drawing more, the people that uh, are watching your show are over 46. The people watching Ancient Aliens are under 46. And marketing-wise, they spend more money. So we're sticking with that because the commercials will pay more. So that's what it was about. Business decision. Yeah, 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 business. But again, if you had put us on at nine, we would have got the younger people because, you know, at the time and even now I'm divorced, I'm single. 10 o'clock on a Friday night is when I head out. So, you know, I don't, but people were staying around to watch our show, you know? So I don't know. That was, I thought that was kind of unfortunate. And, uh, you know, I really stopped watching ancient aliens when they said Da Vinci was an alien. So, mm-hmm. and that's what I mean. There's so many things in that show that I don't know. Season know? eight. That, that was really the last season for me was season eight. Yeah. After that I just stopped watching yeah. it. Da Vinci's yeah. an alien. I said, what? <laughs> did aliens create rocks you, yeah 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 well you know what i used to do at um uh, uh my conferences i run the, the three here in erie pittsburgh and philly I, and i used to make fun of giorgio a lot i would like take my glasses and say see this this could not have been made by humans <laughs> this this was made by aliens <laughs> you know that's and the uh, issue with this field right everybody Absolutely. As crazy as the reach is, even though we think we're based on more facts and we've read more legitimate things, because there's no hard, steadfast evidence that hasn't Absolutely. been dumbed down or censored or mm-hmm. sequestered away, nobody can really disprove anything. So yeah. they get an equal plate at the table, unfortunately, yeah. in some cases. And because there's grains of truth in a lot of it as well, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So. Yeah. You know, we have our internal opinions. We talk to a lot of people. You know, we see the world of commenting on UFO yep. Twitter and Facebook and everything else. So we kind of we think we know what's what. But I mean, you got guys like George Knapp that used to think it was only this way and then humbly change their mind and say, yeah, I, I've been schooled. Yeah. I really didn't know anything. Let me, and it's let me tell crazier you one, than now. one more quick story before we get into some cases. Uh, my friend out in Minnesota, and I can't think of his name now. Uh, he's what kind this. of friend is that? You don't even remember him. <laughs> you know, I haven't talked to these guys in a while. I retired from the UFO field in, uh, five years ago. 
but yet uh, everybody pulls me back in. I'm on a radio show now uh, every here? night. I'm here. We uh, didn't forget I, about I, you, bro. That's why you're yeah, here. I wrote more books. I still run the conferences for the PA chapter, even though I retired. But he, he does the first uh, ancient uh, alien conference in the country. And the History Channel is there. So the cast of Ancient Aliens is there in Minnesota in 2012. And I think myself and maybe one or two other people were not cast members, but everybody was there except David Childress, uh, Giorgio Van Daniken, all of them are there. The, the other guy, I can't think of his name anymore. Either. The one that passed away, he was like 40 something. And, and all of a sudden he got some uh, uh, glandular disease and he, he passed away. I don't know if you remember the guy. He kind of had a beard and almost like a French name, but he had been on the show for- Is this name Jason? I'm 40 like, something. Oh God. Yeah, my memory was better, but you know, so I'm doing the show and I meet Giorgio. And of course I get a uh, autograph from him, even though at the time I had been, I'd been on the end of the Cooper show. I'd been on a couple of TV series. So I get his autograph and I said, Hey, I run these conferences in Pittsburgh and Philly primarily. And we'd like to have you come. And he goes, all right, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll, I'll speak for you. Right. So we're doing the conference and Ian Pundit is the uh, narrator, right? And uh, moderator. And there was a couple of questions in a row that they, you know, people would ask, ask Giorgio, you know, or the Ian would ask. And there was one with the, those discs that were found in, in China. And, and Giorgio says, nobody knows where they are right now. So, so Ian says, John, what do, you, what do you think about that? And I said, well, wait a second, those discs were taken to Russia. And in the grooves of the discs, they found like uh, information, like you, like almost you could play it on a Victrola, but there was information in those grooves. So they're up in Russia. Well, Giorgio then gets really annoyed and says, well, like I said, nobody knows where they are right now. So that happened on about three different questions that were asked, right? So after, the, and this is a true story, after the conference was done, Giorgio came up to me and said, I want to tell you something, I will never, ever do a conference for you. I said, okay. And he never did. He never came oh, wow. to our conference, you know? So do you think yeah. it's that people don't want their glass house shattered or they want to be the only opinion and don't, uh, don't add or don't cut me off. Is it an ego thing or what do you think that's from? I've had everybody on, I've had everybody at my conferences, Travis Walton, uh, Nick Pope, everybody in the field, except for the ancient alien people. And uh, with him in particular, it's ego. It is the biggest, he's like Tom Cruise ego. I've never seen anything like it in a human being, you know, but, the, and, and that's my opinion. You know, it, if you ask me, most conferences I go to, I don't charge a speaking fee. I really don't. You know, if they offer me a couple hundred, a hundred or two, I say, all right, you know, I got to park my car. I got to drive to the airport. You know, I've never asked more than $200 to speak anywhere. And I base that on the size of the conference. You know, there's a lot of small conferences. I know they're not making a lot of money. I speak for free even now, you know. But the ancient alien guys started asking Childress, you know, $1,500. You know, I said, come on, David. We, you know, we do the whole event and only make $2,000. And I'm going to give you $1,500. You know, I'm a better speaker than you. So <laughs> I don't need you. I'll speak again. You know, that type of stuff. So. You know, so I don't know. I think it's kind of ego with some of that stuff. But, you know, I'm not in this for the money, never been in it for the money. I spent more money uh, running around on investigations and, and helping other people with conferences that, 
Uh, there's no money in this. I published no. 10 books and I'm lucky I broke even. <laughs> we had, we had a similar decision to make too, like for all of our viewers on our YouTube channel. I hope you notice there's no commercial when you click our video and there isn't yeah. one in the middle and there isn't one at the end either. And yeah. I'm also not sponsoring coffee or jeans yeah. or, uh, you know, um, uh, pest. Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're, I mean, we could take the money. But uh, and there will come a time where it will only be feasible if we're into that, I think, because it is a full time job in addition to our lives, our families and everything else. Right. But, yeah, we've chosen to not go that route instantly. And just as soon as you can monetize, bang, let's start getting subscriptions. We're at the level now where we could probably get a decent buck for what we do. But we feel like that's almost a bit of a sellout. You know, we've had people that we've asked come on the show and they're like, yeah, well, you know, due to my contract with my agent, I got to charge you a thousand bucks. Like, what are you, a neurosurgeon? For one hour. Or not even. Some of these episodes are 45 minutes long. So I tell those people, thanks, but no thanks. And oh, yeah. And so do we. I was so much a believer in this that we have to find out because this is the biggest question in humanity, I think, that, you know, with MUFON, you know, I was on their board for three years. It was kind of, they called it like a temporary board member. And I'm telling you, the finances in 2010, 11, maybe 09, you know, when we had the housing crisis, I guess, was then in 08. Yeah. Their finances were in the toilet. Uh, I donated $13,000 to MUFON. You know, uh, it it was a tax write-off because they're a nonprofit, you know, so it counts. But, uh, you know, I I felt good about that. You know, I said, I'm helping them stay afloat. And, you know, I was probably in those two years, their biggest donor, you know, and and then they were able to recover. And now I I understand they're doing very well. And that's why even um, having joined MUFON several years back, and some people are really upset about, you know, sometimes they have an investigation, and the investigator comes back with, you know, their, uh, basically, what happened on the, the certain events, you know, that took place, their reports and all that. They don't understand it comes out like we're not funded. There's no money yeah. coming in. You know, they're not going to buy a certain, they're not paying for the fuel. They're not paying for the equipment that we need. They're like, oh, get, you need a, a to-go bag. Well, to go back is a lot of junk in there and that's, yeah. that's all costly, right? So yeah. yes, it's, you might not agree with the, uh, the end result that uh, your move on investigator has for your case, but keep in mind that, that, you know, he, she, or they, uh, with these days, you got to say that um, you, yeah. you got to, you know, you don't know what their expense, you know, how much money they can spend on your case, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a cattle mutilation, go nuts, you know, I'll probably spend several, you know, at least a thousand bucks on that investigation, yeah. but you know, just for something's floating in the sky, like, no, um, yeah, it costs, it costs money to do this. But I tell you what though, with the conferences we did, I, I paid for the first conference we did in Montgomery County and the first conference it was, we did, you know, I was smart about this. We got this case in Bucks County. It's getting all the, it's in all the newspapers. It's on the TV news, right? The TV show airs in November. So January, I run a UFO conference there. Do you know how many people showed up? 600. Are you serious? Biggest conference I ever did in my life. We charged $10. I paid to rent the the science hall at the Montgomery Community College. I bought the screen, the projector, brought my laptop. I funded that stuff. And we made six grand because it was $10 to get in. Bill Burns, David Jacobs, and myself. With the speakers, we made six grand on that. 
And, and we had gotten up to almost $30,000 from our conferences. And we were then able to reimburse investigators and fund stuff and send things off to labs for reports and all of that. So, you know, but that's how you do it. And, you know, and I had a uh, public television. I'm at an event in Pittsburgh and some guy walks up to me and, and says, hey, I've seen you on, on television with Hangar One and all of that. We have a public TV show. And he says, you, would you come in and, and do some half hour episodes for us? And we air it on Pittsburgh Channel 11 TV at night. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, uh, and I didn't get paid for any of this. So now I'm driving into Pittsburgh, paying tolls and gas and all of that. And we, we, I, I named the show UFOs Over Pittsburgh which was cool. And I'm able to Skype uh, people in. We had Travis, we had everybody on the show and it was free and it was on TV. I never got paid, but I said, you know what? We'll get more investigators and more people at the conferences. And when I retired as state director in 2012, we had 178 subscribers. We had 43 investigators. And I think about that when, you know, 10 years earlier when I took it over, I'm lucky I had a dozen investigators and, you know, now we're at 43, you know, we, we really built this state up, but that, that's how you do it. But I want to segue into one other thing before you start that, because we, since we're talking about funding. So, you know, I'm on the board of MUFON and all of a sudden we, we are told that Robert Bigelow wants to get involved. And he will fund our investigations. And this is like 09. So again, it's right there with the TV show. And I had just gotten state director two years earlier. Robert Big, and I meet the guy. We have we have a uh, um, the symposium, I believe it was in Denver, and there's billionaire Robert Bigelow. And I'm having a vodka and and, and I have I I drink the vodka gin martinis like James Bond. Nice. You know? Yeah. Shaken, and, not stirred. That's right. Yeah. And so and we have like here's this billionaire. He don't know me from anybody. And we had like a 20 minute conversation about uh, colonizing Mars. You know, it was it was really cool. But so, again, with people, you know, you start getting what's Bigelow getting out of this and what's going on with this. And all I knew is that if we had an investigation, you submit an expense report. If you had to stay in a hotel, if you had it, and they had to authorize it first, you know, if you had to rent a car, it, you know, gas and they're reimbursing you, you know, and I said, this is the way it should be. We need, and that kind of funding. And I don't remember the exact figures. $700,000 is what Bigelow put up for a year to do these investigations. And of course, then you get people, you know, you know, the crazies, uh, what's Bigelow getting? Is it being compromised? Is he yeah. taking all the reports? Is he getting all he wanted to do for $700,000 was read the report. You know, he wanted to see it first. And if there was anything there for uh, that would describe the propulsion, anything that he could use, because he's building the, those, pods in in you know his hotel right. uh, in the atmosphere there you know he wanted the information i thought it was the best thing and that whole thing just kind of de-evolved into finger pointing and james carry on he he goes on vacation he comes back he's fired as mufon international director i thought carry on was a good guy you know they said well he didn't report something right i don't you know the whole thing just and then people on the board and other people 
state directors pointing fingers and the whole thing fell the apart. Minute, the minute money gets involved, oh, yeah. um, it, everything falls apart. And Bigelow is one of those guys that we always think like, oh, if I was a billionaire, I would spend money on investigating UFOs. Well, yeah. that's exactly what he's doing, yeah. right? So it's it's not like it's a secret thing. The guy's got the money to spend on it. Yeah. Let him spend it. And I'll tell you something else. This is my opinion. What you're seeing right now with the Pentagon, with, with all of that, you know, they might put Tom DeLong out as the front man and, and uh, Elizondo. I guarantee you in the background, Bigelow's involved in this. I am sense right from Skinwalker Ranch onwards. He's never really left. It would make sense. I am 99.9% certain that Bigelow's in the middle of this. And because I, you know, he wants that technology or something that's going to help him with that space station that he's got up there, hotel thing. But I guarantee you he's behind that. You know, so you know, so well, okay. it's a so race to the patent for this crazy science. Like even oh, yeah, Elon Musk yeah. and everybody, we're trying to go from burning fossil fuels to using you know antimatter as propulsion. Right. So whoever yeah. gets it right first wins. The yeah. monopoly game is over when you land on the whole, you know, the oh, park place with a hotel. You're it's done. Huge. So it's, it's huge. You know, I'm looking. I'm looking at Motor Trend, and you know, I love the Hummer, and it's electric now, so I don't have to worry about eight miles per gallon. But I say, you know, I go snowmobiling. I'm not certain I could take that electric Hummer up in the mountain. Well, here, here's a caveat to that. <laughs> I also work in the automotive business. We both yeah. do, and uh, we had uh, we viewed one of the new Hummer electrics. It was at yeah. the facility we were at, and uh, this unit sold for two hundred and forty-five thousand oh dollars US. God. It, it weighs been... 10,000 pounds. Yeah. It feels like the equivalent of a thousand horsepower when you nail it. But yeah. the whole idea, if you look at how much pollution was made mining the lithium to make those batteries. I know. You'd have been way, if it just burned gas the rest of its life, the next 20 years, it would do the planet a yeah. bigger favor. And $29,000 so, to replace the batteries. You're not saving the planet by buying electric cars. I hate I, I to agree. tell people that. I ruffle people's feathers. But that's what they're doing. California said they're not going to produce uh, gas vehicles. Uh, Same in Europe, 2030. Yeah. You can't sell yeah. gas. I think North America. Well, they don't have any gas. Back. They got to get it from Russia. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other yeah. show in itself here. Everybody's so, riding bikes. The e-bikes. That's well, let's that's let's get. Needs, yeah, that's what needs to happen. Again, ask me about cases. <laughs> let's get into some cases. This is viewer requested, so that's why I'm like, I gotta get oh, it done, okay, man. Or I'm gonna get my head ripped off. We're gonna go two hours here. Guaranteed. Social media. Hey, if we go and it's good content, we keep this baby running. Okay. So we'll start with the easy one, and I know you're you're polarized on this one, so we don't want to beat it to death. But Roswell, New Mexico, yay or nay? Okay, it's a, it's a nay, and I'll tell you why. And Nick Pope actually now is mimicking my logic because I had him in Philly and I said to the crowd what I believed about Roswell that he now is saying it on TV. But uh, Roswell, in 1936, there was a UFO crash in the Black Forest of Germany. We ended up getting all of that with Operation Paperclip. We got all of it. We didn't know what we had. Hitler didn't know what he had. That's why he tried to to die Glock and all these other things he was trying to do. My belief is that uh, the Roswell crash was hours experimentation, trying to get the anti-gravity to work and it crashed there. Now, as far as the bodies go, maybe there was an issue with weight. Maybe they were, you know, dwarves, midgets. I don't know. But I would hate to think that they were some human experimentation. But when you look at what Hitler did, 
And what the Japanese did to the Chinese in Unit 231, experimenting on people. And we continued some of that stuff with the Tuskegee Airmen and other MK Ultra. MK, all of yeah, yeah, good, good point. All of that. Who knows what the bodies were? But in my opinion, it was not alien. That was our technology. And that makes sense because the initial headline, um, you know, it was the Army Captures Flying Disc. That yeah. was an Army disclosure. So if it was a secret Air Force project, there might have been some not good cooperation that yeah. just because it's an Air Force project doesn't mean every other faction of the military gets that in, insider info. It's compartmentalized. So. And then they pulled it all down two days later. And, yes, uh, oh, that it was sorry, a weather balloon. Yeah. Sorry, we yeah. didn't get nuked on Wednesday. That was a lightning strike. Sorry, it didn't happen. <laughs> you yeah. Know. Yeah. This right. took us two days, but it's tinfoil. Okay, okay so we're, we're in Nan Roswell. <laughs> so now, a very polarizing subject. What are your thoughts on Bob Lazar, Area 51, S4, because that kind of comes from that. Like, we didn't know yeah. Area 51 existed until George Knapp got the story of yeah. Bob Lazar and released mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think Lazar saw what he saw. And, uh, but again, is it alien or is it ours? Because you're talking now, what's that, 1989 or so yeah. with Bob Lazar? And uh, we've had this technology to an extent for 40 years at that point. Sure. And I think Lazar saw that craft and stuff. Absolutely. And people say, well, he falsified his his college uh, credentials. I mean, how many people have? I think a lot of people apply for jobs and they exaggerate their college credentials and their resume and a lot of things. So I think I think he saw what he saw. But my belief is that probably around 1980, we finally broke through and we have a real space force. Trump did not discover, create it in 2018 or 17, whenever he said he created the space force. That has been there since the early 80s. And when I look back at the old cases, you know, actually, if you look it up, 1982, there's a space force involved with satellites, let's say. That's what the job was. But I look at the, um, uh, oh, what's the case? Uh, uh, Hudson Valley. Yeah. It, it, from it, this, from Christmas of 83 for, I don't know what that was, seven years. Yeah, six seven, years was the flap. Yeah, 7,000 reports and yeah. witnesses. And it, it's like blatant and, and nobody is investigating it. This thing's hovering over a nuclear reactor and you don't have the Air Force flying in there. That was ours. They were testing it, probably built it somewhere up there in upstate New York. They're flying it and testing it. I'm convinced that... Um, Hudson Valley and the Phoenix Lights is our technology. Those are ours. And um, that's why I say like Lazar saw what he saw and maybe half of all the cases ever reported is ours. Maybe the Tic Tac stuff is our uh, secret space force that they're not telling you about. They're not telling you everything about it, but those are really ours. You know, it's interesting. I had a cousin, quick story. Two of my cousins went to the Air Force Academy in the mid 70s. Right. And I would ask them, you know, the uh, the uh, fi- the physics 370 book at the Air Force. I don't know if you know about this. Chapter 33 is on UFOs and the threat. Right. So I said, when you were at the Air Force Academy, did you see that? And it was only there from 68, 69 and 70. 
they went to the Air Force Academy like mid 70s. They said, no, I, I never said anything about that. But interesting though, we're at dinner one time, my cousin Frank is a two-star Air Force general. My other cousin, I don't want to use his name, is NSA, right? So I'm, so in, in the car, I was telling Frankie about all these UFO cases and NASA and all these things, all the evidence. So he brings it up at dinner and says, hey, tells his brother, cousin Johnny is saying this and he's laughing and says, what do you think about, about that? And the NSA guy says, yeah, I believe that. You had to see my Air Force bro- cousin's jaw like this large. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you mean you believe that? <laughs> you know, but he did tell me one thing. And I could say it now because he passed away uh, last January. He said, John, I can tell you this. We have, you know, it's almost like that guy who, who told Jan Harzan from Lockheed, whatever, that we can go to the stars. He yeah. said, John, you don't have to worry at night. We have stuff that China and Russia, no idea, so advanced, you could sleep good at night. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed away at 65, uh, about 18 months ago. But and that's why that's why I say I I think that the Lazar stuff that's ours. Phoenix Lights is ours, and uh, Hudson Valley was ours. And we been, we have already been to every planet in the solar system. I believe that one hundred percent. So, do you think there's an accountability though on that to have that sort of technology to scare the crap out of the population? Not only that, but it, let's say if it is American technology, they're flying it over Canada, they're flying it over Europe, they're flying it everywhere without um, basically asking for permission to be in their airspace. So there is some repercussions to having this sort of advanced technology if we do possess it, because there's accountability at this point. Some people are getting radiation poisoning from it they're getting these weird diseases from approaching these crafts um you know um so there there is an accountability there isn't there well i I would say to you do you think they care the answer is no and and i give you example the bed um not betty and barney hill the the two that were in texas in 1980 where the two ladies and the kids stayed in the car and the one mentioned that the last episode yes cash landrum right yeah that was absolutely ours 1980, we're testing a nuclear reactor on this thing. It's being followed by uh, helicopters. Like what? Helicopters? Like a, yeah, it's like they shoot them. the thing yeah. down. This is ours. Yeah. Flies right over the lady. They they get uh, radiation poisoning. They remove the road. <laughs> and they won the a whole... lawsuit. It's the only time yeah. anyone's ever successfully yeah. sued yeah. and they won for care. damages. Yeah. And I'll give you I'll give you another example that they don't care. And this may be one of your cases you want to talk about is Kecksburg because it's seven yep. miles from me. So I don't know if that's one. Oh, yeah. But, I got Kecksburg right here. The little right, acorn bell-shaped right thing. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't have to go in chronological order. Uh, unfortunately for the UFO fans in PA locally, I, I hooked up with an engineer in 2015. And we went step by step over everything the witnesses said. And his theory was that Kecksburg was a spy satellite. After the Gary Powers U-2 capture of his plane, we still needed to spy on Russia. So, and this is an absolute fact. What we started doing was launching capsules. They were five and a half feet tall, five and a half feet wide. And it looks just like a space capsule. We launched them out of the South Pacific by Johnson Island. So they would go over, the earth would spin. They take pictures of Russia, come back around, uh, eject the camera system, we'd pick it up. Now, 
my point is not to debunk Kecksburg, but I think that's actually what crashed in Kecksburg, and I could tell you all about it. But the, they would pick up the camera system, the capsule would land in the water and sink. It has an atomic generator on it. And there are hundreds of them that sunk to the bottom of the Pacific. Yeah. Nobody cared about the radiation. So when it comes to the government, and look, I love America. You know, I am love it or leave it. You know, I want my freedoms and I am, you know, and people need to be where they succeed on their own and not with government handouts and stuff. But, you know, when it comes to the government, they got to do what they're going to do. And there isn't accountability and there's no concern for human life. Very little, because if they can get away with it, you know, like Hitler did with his experiments with Mengele, like the Japanese did with their experiments on the Chinese. And we've done this stuff, too, with MKUltra. You know, I, I, the, to get the technology and be the most powerful country is job one. You know, I wrote a book once for the opening scene. I don't remember which book I've written 10, but I, we have an encounter with Iran and they back engineered the 1976 case. Remember the UFO? Yep. Al Jarari, whatever the guy's name was, where he couldn't fire, it locked In up Iran, his weapons. Yeah. Yep. And then, but it crashed. But it crashed that UFO. It went down. So in the is a novel I wrote. Uh, they back engineered it. So they're now. That's why they're so bold. The uh, you know the Iranians, right? So in this novel I wrote, it was an opening. I know the book. It's the uh, uh, Apophis 2029 is the book set in the year 2029. They challenge us, but they don't know we already have back engineered it and we have an encounter over the Atlantic. And that was just the opening of, of the book. The <laughs> but, interesting uh, thing, too, is that acorn or bell shaped capsule that was seen apparently had some weird griff, uh, glyph type like yeah. hieroglyphs. But I mean, think about it. If you come from a small place and you've never seen Arabic writing or Cyrillic or, you know, any type of a Middle Eastern culture, that would look like, man, that's alien writing for sure. What the hell is that? It doesn't look anything like the lettering systems that we're accustomed to. Yeah. So it's plausible that it was not alien writing. It could have been writing from another yeah. culture right here on our own planet. Right. Let, let me tell you a little bit about Kexburg. So. So we we went into that, and those capsules were first sent to England. They were going to be used there. They were also capable of, of carrying atomic weapons uh, or nuclear weapons at that time. Or maybe they were atomic, you know, atomic in 65, right? And then they were shipped back. And so the, the engineer said, look, there, there had to be some writing. There had to be something that they put around it. But one of the things we found was one of the witnesses on the writing, so there's some scribbling and all stuff, but there's a five-pointed star, your regular five-pointed star on it in a circle. Yeah, That's an Air Force Army symbol in the United States. And that's on the base with the other writing. So that told me those were military, right? So then the witnesses are saying, well, when this thing's, when it's coming down over Canada and Detroit, uh, it changes direction. I find a manual from the Air Force, a general statement, general's statement stating there's a weight and balance system there. They can send a radio signal. It, it tilts the weight and off of the heavy air, we can change the direction and land it within 100 yards of where we want it to. to so it to doesn't crash into a city or kill somebody, right? And where was this thing headed? Straight at Cleveland yeah. and Pittsburgh. So they, they changed it a little bit. 
and we're 30 miles uh, south uh, southeast of Pittsburgh, so it didn't hit the city, right? So that's explained. Uh, it had a copper alloy heat shield, which glows green because it's copper, right? People saw it glowing green coming in. They said four NASA guys were there carrying a, a large box, probably a lead box because it had an atomic reactor. They were in radiation suits. They saw blue arcing in the woods. Well, they're cutting the thing open to get the generator out of it. They can't drive it down Route 30 here uh, with leaking yep. radiation all over the turnpike. You know, we explained every single part of that. So, you know, as much as I like, I love a good story and I like all of these to be true. I think Kecksburg was the spy setup. But get this, Unsolved Mysteries does their investigation. The Sci-Fi Channel does their investigation. Nobody can locate one military officer that was there. All we got is these statements and stuff. So we write the paper up. It's the cover of the Pittsburgh, not the cover, the living section cover of the Pittsburgh Tribune, uh, Post-Gazette. That reporter was in the military, puts it on stars and stripes, right? And then we, I get contacted from a guy up in Maine. He says, my neighbor was the guy who headed up the investigation. He would tell us all the time. So he gave us the, the name. We looked the guy up. We found the army officer that headed up the Kecksburg investig uh, recovery retrieval. So we did what nobody else was able to do. We identified who he was. So do you think that any of these cases, like the Benny Barney Hill, for instance, uh, was that human related technology? Is that something that kind of borders into the uh, sort of the gray area? And it's kind of pun intended there, but, you know, there were yeah. little gray men. Uh, do, do you think that, that the phenomenon of abduction is something that is currently ongoing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. But the thing has changed. Uh, I believe the Betty and Barney Hill, I believe mostly, my biggest belief is Travis Walton, good friend of mine. I was talking to him about an hour before I got on the show. Um, uh, I believe his case. He's he's passed five, six polygraphs, yeah. you know, but uh, it let's see, that was in the 70s. Uh, no, that, that couldn't be our technology. You know, even though he did run into these officers that he thought were ours. Yeah. They looked like Schwarzenegger. You know, they were big, muscular Nordics. And, you need to come uh, with us now. Yeah, you better. <laughs> you know, they took him and put the gas mask on him and knocked him out. But, uh, you know, those are all good. But it's a strange thing. This abduction thing. So I got a whole different view now on the abduction thing is uh, I agree with Dr. David Jacobs. I don't agree with Kathleen, Kathleen Martin. And uh, there's a segment of the UFO field with Ray Hernandez and that free organization. And, you know, it, 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 I don't want to say they've become liberal, but, you know, they think the alien abduction is a good thing. You know, it's good to get abducted. It's positive in your life. I, I remember telling Ray Hernandez, if it's so good, offer your grandkids up for an abduction. It's got to be better than public school, <laughs> you know. But yeah. every case prior to the last five years, let's say, over 90% of the abductions has been negative. Even Jacques Vallée said it has all the markers of uh, paganism and, and that type of stuff. And I think I took Kenneth Ring's research where he compared near-death experience and uh, alien abduction. And I then read all the books on exorcism and uh, hauntings 
and I compared his research to demonic infestation. There's about a 70% overlap in the alien abduction to a demonic case, 70%. And uh, I, I think I was telling this to somebody recently. Oh, I'll tell you, I became, when I ran for governor, I became friends with the Pittsburgh militia. You know, the militia guys oh, well, with ARs, yeah. right? Yeah. I became, because somebody went after them, one of the other candidates. I came to their defense. You know, they're not starting any trouble. These guys come through our political events and provide free security. I became real good friends with them. So we, we, we were discussing this. And I just lost my train of thought. What was we just discussing? Uh, about the uh, alien abductions. Okay. And, yeah. Abduct, yeah. So, so I, I, you got a 70% uh, overlap uh, with the demonic stuff, you know? So in my mind, there's been a change here. Uh, David Jacobs has always felt it was very negative. They were here for hybridization. And, and uh, they've gone four or five generations now, let's say since the 40s, and they've infiltrated government, they've infiltrated uh, uh, CEOs of corporations. I mean, the Google guy looks looks like data to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> the guy in charge of Google. But think about it, and you, in this country, the changes here are happening so quickly in the US, almost they're being orchestrated. And of course, I think it's Soros and, and that type, but something is changing our culture here very quickly but um so you know i i looked i looked at it and i said look the uh, carla turner if you're familiar with her cases uh where she was abducted her her husband her son all three had the same dreams uh, you know windows rattling doors rattling uh you could hear something walking with nails and claws. And I'm reading this saying, this is, how is this alien? How is this an alien thing? You know, uh, the son becomes almost possessed. He's in a parking lot with his girlfriend and he's trying to get her out from under the street lamp. Come over here in the dark. I have somebody for you to meet. The whole thing was absolutely uh, creepy. And uh, matter of fact, her last book, she said some remark about if you think these are aliens or angels, you know, uh, and I can't remember the name of the book, Destiny of Angels, whatever she called it. Uh, it she says this is a complete uh, trick, you know, and the more you look at Valet, even uh, Heineck said this is interdimensional. Valet and Keel all say that this is demonic. And, you know, if there's time at the end, I'll tell you about my one and only. Yeah, encounter. go ahead. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. We're right. All right. That so here subject. we go. This is going to change the whole show on you. All right. Uh, and, and this is really interesting. Night, I joined MUFON in 98. Right. So in 99, I go to the first symposium because it's close by. It's in D.C., Northern Virginia. I drive, it's only 200 miles. So uh, I drive there, I go to the symposium. It's great. I meet all these people. I'm loving it, right? And uh, I get home. The next four nights were nothing but a haunting. Uh, lucid dreams. There is something, a presence in my room. And, and, and in my opinion, this is not alien. I'm waking, I'm seeing this creature standing next to me. I'm waking up every hour, swinging my fist because I know it's right next to me. I hit the headboard. Uh, the post almost broke my wrist. Um, I have an out-of-body experience where I'm floating over the house. I see my green Grand Cherokee parked there. And for a second, I said, touch the peak of the roof. The peak of the roof was right there. 
and I was saying, touch it. I don't know if I woke up, I might have fell. I don't know what would happen. But, uh, you know, it, it, then I see these two hybrid kids, right? They're, they're there. And I have Dobermans. I always have. My Dobermans floating in the air uh, horizontally. His legs are sticking out. This kid's poking him, right? And I'm yelling at the kid, stop poking the dog. And you know, when I think back on it, I couldn't see anything else in a room. It was like a beige color. I, I couldn't see furniture. I couldn't see anything. But the kids, and the kid turns around. He's got big bug eyes, hair plugs, gigantic forearms, you know, like twice the size of mine. The bone is like sticking out on the end of the forearm, like some genetic mutation, you know, and he has no shirt on and he's the creepiest looking thing. Then there's another kid standing next to him in like, look like Nosferatu. Hair was pulled back. And I'm talking 12 year old kids, you know, had like a rat face with the teeth. Hair was slicked back. Uh, wearing like a black outfit, like the vampire, like Nosferatu. This is the weirdest stuff. So I, uh, here I am. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a, I joined MUFON, but my girlfriend jumps on the UFO site, uh, and she says, "John, the night you got home, there's a UFO sighting in Penn State and in Morgantown, West Virginia. Your house is in direct line of those two sightings." So I, I don't know what this thing is, but to me, it was very paranormal. Could have been UFO, right? The time, every, you know, a lot of Thanksgivings, I have some sort of poltergeist paranormal activity. And it's when my kids are here. I get them for Thanksgiving. My, my ex got them for uh, Christmas. But, it, and it wasn't, you know, I'm a high level executive and I'm really busy and I'm on five boards of charities and stuff. But things would happen and there were witnesses and other people and my kids and my girlfriends. And they would say, you know, what is this? You know, and uh, then nothing happens for 18 months, two years, three years. So real quickly, uh, it's, it escalates and more and more things start happening. Paranormal things. We hear walking in the hallway. Um, there's a handprints like this on my bathroom mirror. Four inches longer than my arm. I'm six feet. That puts it seven feet. It has six fingers. I have it on video, the, the mirror, and a Polaroid, right? Uh, my kids start telling me about stuff that happened in our Jersey house. And this is all haunting stuff. Voices in the wall, a, a rocking chair in the spare bedroom, and a baby crying. My girlfriend at the time tells me the same thing. And she never talked to my daughter. My daughter didn't tell me about that until years later. We moved to uh, New Jersey and all the boxes are sliding around uh, from Oklahoma. We went to New Jersey. The boxes are sliding around the garage floor. You can hear them sliding. My father comes over and says, John, what is that? I said, I don't know, Dad. The, the moving boxes slide around the floor. All of this stuff. And, um, and, and but then it starts to escalate. And uh, my daughter has an experience. They're sleeping over. And she gets attacked by shadow people. She, they're all around her bed. One presses into her body, right? And she hears them all talking. And it's the one in the doorway says, uh, when you're done with her, I want to try out the other two, meaning my son and his fiance in the next room. And she wouldn't have made that wording up. Uh, there's another time where I wake up at five in the morning 
and my bed sits where I could see right down the hall. There's somebody standing there. And I'm looking and, you know, I'm rubbing my eyes, smacking my face. What is this? There's a guy standing at the end of the hallway. He's backlit. And, and it's at the, the door for the attic, right? He's, he's above the door frame, but he has a square head. I'm saying, this, is he wearing a helmet? Is this, is this alien? The thing had about a 12-inch waist. It was so small and slender and long arms and legs and a square head, but I can't make out features because it's backlit, right? So I crawl to the footboard. We're 20 seconds into this at least, right? I see him. I said, okay, you're taking kickboxing. Step over the footboard, charge him, and hit him as hard as you can. As soon as I thought that, this other voice in my head says, you don't want to do that. You, that could be unsafe. You want to step off the bed and turn the light on. Of course, I go do that. He's gone, right? And uh, I go, my, do my Doberman is sleeping in the hallway at the top of the stairs. I walk past him. He don't wake up. So I go down the hallway, look for uh, footprints. There's nothing there. I go back to bed. I look at him. He's sound asleep. You can't walk past the dog with him not acknowledging you and waking up. But I'm thinking like the alien stuff, you know, the husband's sleeping and the wife is taken, that, that type of thing. Um, I mean, that's that's one instance. There, there were just so many of these things. And then it, in 2014, it escalated into what I just consider a, a very demonic encounter. 20th anniversary of, of my divorce. And I'm sitting watching the baseball game. My I have a 108-pound Doberman. He is laying on my legs. There's a sonic boom on the wall. Boom! We both turned, so the dog heard it. The pictures flip up on the wall. Uh, the one picture flips up, and there's two Indian headdresses, and the feathers blow to the side. And the dog saw it because he reacted exactly with me. I go upstairs, and uh, there's this smell, smell in the hallway, like a column, like rotting flesh. It, it, I step back, I don't smell it. I step forward, I, I, I smell it. So I put the bathroom fan on, I finish the game, I go to bed, uh, it's still there, right? And uh, again, in my bathroom, boom! The dog sleeping on that little chair at the footboard. Him and I both turn and look at the same time. I don't know what this is, but there was so many of those occurrences. And I'm talking to Kathy Martin, Nick Redfern, my local friends, a lot of the investigators I recruited are ghost hunters. They're saying, John, you got some sort of demonic entity in there. The UFO people are telling me this is alien, you know? And, uh, you know, when, when you went to that conference in 99, that was an alien encounter. Those are hybrid kids. The thing standing down the hallway had a square head. It's probably a helmet. And I also, when that all ended, when I laid down, I, it was like this dim light outside in the windows that got less and less and less. So I don't know, but the, the, my encounters with this, and it really went on and on to, uh, it, it, you, they would be banging on the walls. This is a full-blown poltergeist type encounter. And uh, I had a priest come in and he blessed the house and went away for about six months but in talking to him, he didn't believe the devil was a real entity, you know? So I said, this ain't going to work. And it didn't. So this thing, I went through 22 months of, uh, of every night going to bed and having something poking me, poking me in the head, 
I, I had a, a, a burn mark on my head. I had to go to a dermatologist and have them burn it off. Uh, it, it was just, it, to me, it was so negative. And so I started comparing, like I had said, the demonic possession, uh, infil infiltration to alien abductions. And so much of it was an overlap, like I said, 70%. So I look at the, I look at the alien abduction as being demonic. I look at the hybridization that they talk about, and I don't think it's a good thing. I agree with David Jacobs. It's, it's a negative thing, but I see it as a return of the Nephilim. It's the same thing that these demonic entities, these fallen angels did, uh, you know, when they saw the women of man and they materialized and were able to mate with them, you know, but what's the goal of all of that? The goal of that is to corrupt the DNA. The same thing you're doing with hybridization, the same thing that the Nephilim did. I just see it as a really as a repeat of the same thing. Now, there's so much more I could say, but you know, the, the people who don't believe, let's say the religious side, the uh creation's true, they don't believe in God, they think I'm nuts, right? Because but the ghost people I talked to all said, Yep, I you had a demon in your house. That was not a poltergeist or a ghost, that was a demonic entity. And so the way I got rid of it, uh, no, I, I was able to drive it off calling upon Jesus. You can't say yourself. I would use the name of Jesus and these things would stop. And I met Joe Jordan. I don't know if you know Joe Jordan. I think I've interviewed him a while, while back ago. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Joe Jordan, he, he, was, uh, he went from Florida to South Korea, was the country MUFON person. And he's back in Florida again. He's telling me, John, this is the alien abduction is demonic. And he wrote a book on it, over 150 cases where people called upon Jesus. So I'm following his advice. I meet this woman out of the blue on a dating site that had demonic encounters at the Catholic school she went to. She's telling me what to do and it's working. I'm able to repel it by using the name of Jesus. It's really the only way you can repel it is by using a divinity, you know, not yourself, because that's a challenge. And but another time, while this is in almost over in April of 16, I go to visit my daughter. I fly back. I sit down and I say, I'm writing a book on this, which I did called, uh, I called it, the first book was The Ufologist, The Haunting of John Ventry. And I sit down and I start typing. My yard bursts into flames, literally burst into flames. I got pictures of this. I'm not making it up. So I look, I see three guys. I'm, I happen to live next to a cemetery, but I got a stockade fence. I see three guys in the cemetery. I called the police. They said, no, they reported it before you, right? The, the flames are moving against the wind. They never enter my yard. It's fenced in, a chain link in the back. They're on the other side. I, and I counted the poles, 72 feet. It burst into flames. Now, I had put blessed pendants at the four corners of my yard and the four corners of the house, you know, and I believe that's why the, the fire never entered my yard, yet it's it's burning everything on the other side. So I, after, the, after the fire department comes, puts it out, uh, I get a phone call from the, uh, the mausoleum guy and he goes, oh, how do you like your headstone? I had already ordered my headstone six feet tall in the shape of the Holy Bible, it says Holy Bible, religious markings and stuff. The minute those three guys installed the six foot Bible headstone, the yard burst into flames. 
that's something demonic entities can do, which is why during exorcisms, they remove all the furniture, the curtains, the rugs, all of that stuff, right? So, so I, I write my book on it and I'm totally convinced. And I think a lot of the cases, a lot of the contact, I don't think they're alien. You know, some, Travis is alien, but I think the abduction part and this whole hybridization, I think that the demonic answer is just as plausible as anything the ancient alien guys say. And that's, well, that's a tough thing for people to accept. They don't yep. want to hear that, you know? That's what our uh, our big name professionals we've been chatting with lately are saying that yeah, it used to be just nuts and bolts UFOs. Now it's yeah. poltergeists and cryptids and yeah. everything you thought was just science fiction. Hitchhiker plausible. effect. Yeah, yeah the yeah. hitchhiker effect. And that's yeah. more poltergeist than well, alien as I'm well. I'm glad so. you're hearing that because when I started talking about this in 2014 and, and you know, really in 14, my whole mindset changed where I was a firm believer and I gave some of the best case for ufos i mean i wrote this book here case for ufos i think it should be a manual for mufon with with all the cases and the history and and all of that but then i started taking a look at the uh at the religious view of it and why what would you know like people say what would jesus do well i say what would satan do you know and and i think a lot of this is so i'm glad to hear i'm not the only one although that theory had died out for years with John Keel and Ballet. And I think when I came out and started saying it, a lot of other people started listening, you know, and I know with MUFON, uh, the head of the abduction research, the ERT team, Doc Medich, he used to be a field investigator for me. He teaches in his class to the investigators there who do the abduction research. I gave him the markers. And he tells them about my case and how it started at the MUFON symposium and how the whole thing progressed and how I was able to repel it, how Joe Jordan has found all these cases that can repel the abduction. So, you know, I'm glad that he's using that, you know, and uh, that's the way I see it. I see it with a different set of eyes now. It's I'm not the true believer I used to be, but I don't question what the people say because it did happen. They experience what they experience, but we have never been able to explain why or who's doing it on any of these cases, you know? No, and that's the thing, too, about the abduction phenomenon is that it is strange. Everybody seems to have these different variations of of what takes place. There are some common features that, that, you know, or, or themes that reoccur. But yeah, it is strange. And it is one subject that we haven't really covered much. I know that spirituality is very much coming into play when it comes down to UAPs, like, you know, people saying uh, CE5, you know, contact, yeah. being more spiritual, people are able to to somehow communicate or something with these. It's the uh, open-mindedness, right? Right. Even, yeah. even if you relate that to ancient cultures with sort of your third eye. And yeah. I even read an article the other day that that the pineal gland, which is yeah. quote, I just unquote, about to say eye. that, the pineal gland. Yeah. Is the third eye. yeah. They found that there's like piezoelectric crystals in yeah. that gland. So yep. meaning it could hold a vibration or maybe See, attract or produce one. So there's a lot more that we think we know that we, we right. don't have a clue about. See this guy standing behind me here? Yeah. On my right. Um, Handsome fellow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the first sketch of the gray, how that came about? No. 1918. Alistair Crowley, the self-professed oh, yeah, okay. antichrist, demon worshiper, 
He does the ritual of Babylon, and I don't know all the details of it. He conjures up an entity. It's a gray with the hmm. big head. Uh, it had small eyes, didn't have big eyes, but it was the first gray ever, uh, ever, ever drawn. Wow. You know, sketched. Know so I, in that book I wrote, the uh, I call it now the string theory of the unexplained, yeah. and I looked at probably ten UFO cases famous ones and i pointed out all the demonic markers to it and uh, all my explanations and all of that but i have all of this stuff in the book uh, all the oddities that point to me more that this is a deception and a trick so we look at the pentagon now all right why are they telling us you know the, the guys that debunked it for all those years right who ran mk ultra and I don't know if you know about the Collins elite and Operation Often and all of that, right? Now, the same people are telling us that they need, that UFOs are real. It's a cover story for something else, you know? Yeah. But uh, Collins elite was a very interesting, uh, the FBI took a look at Alistair Crowley and uh, um, JPL, uh, the guy who founded it, Parkins, Perkins, and Ray Bradbury and uh, another famous guy. And they were investigating him for demonic occult activity, Alistair Crowley in the US. They then turned it over to the CIA. The CIA forms the Collins elite, a group of uh, CIA people that investigate the paranormal. And then they started investigating UFOs. Down the road, their conclusion was there are no UFOs, it's all paranormal activity. It comes through a dimension. And I, I gotta agree with that. We, I, I don't say 100%, I'm not gonna say 100%. Uh, then operation often was we try to harness the powers of the paranormal. With MK Ultra remote viewing, we were trying to figure out where Saddam Hussein was hiding, that type of stuff. So. We've done all of these things, you know, uh, and so that's why I, I, I say I can't I can't trust the government a whole lot in what they tell you and what their motivation is and what they would do to you. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Just look at cattle mutilations and the my labs and that that stuff happens. Yeah. These ranchers are losing, you know, 20 head of steer and, and 10, you know, they're losing thousands of dollars and they see helicopters nearby. Yeah. Like one one of these bulls are like what three grand? I yeah, think, just there was for... that one ranch. Was it Lopez or I don't remember the name? He lost like twenty five head in one one clip. It was the biggest, you know, one that they they lost the most uh, steers. You know, spontaneous barbecue. That's what uh, would happen after that. Just yeah, fight <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. over. We got we got <laughs> we a lot of meat. Fight <laughs> the whole county over and, and do a, a Texas barbecue on that stuff. But you now my thinking has changed on it. But you know, uh, I don't know. You know, Nick Pope was out here. We did the conference in Philly and they're telling all these stories. We did a, a panel and, you know, and I said, well, hold on a second, everybody, before we get too far out there, there no life has been found yet in outer space. I believe all the stories and I think they're interdimensional, but we, we have only found viruses or bacteria. We have not found any life in space. It, it just hasn't happened yet. And then, you know, if you read the Christian version, life is only here on this planet. You know, and I, I said to uh, Michael Heiser, who's a theologian, uh, and he, goes, he says to me, 
do you think God's a little God or a big God? And I said, a big God. You think he has a budget? And I said, no. He says, so he created trillions of stars because he could, but he only put life on one. And that very well may be the truth, but there are other dimensions. Heaven's a dimension, hell's a dimension. The physicists say there are 11. So it's us, heaven, and hell. There's still eight more. And I, I wonder, does everything evolve around Earth? And, and there's different dimensions, you know, there's different, maybe there's a dimension where Hitler won, you know, and they've got flying saucers and maybe they're able to come through, but it takes so much energy, they have to just go back. I, I don't know, because a lot of them seem to just dissipate or they fly away, they're gone, you know, um, the entities that are encountered, I, I don't know. But, you know, I'd love there to be uh, Independence Day peaceful where they show up and they tell us the truth, you know, yeah. what's going on. But, you know, I've done this 24 years. There's no real proof. You know, I've got my radar and I got my trace evidence. What is a proof? Could have been a government craft. As a matter of fact, that TR3B, the, the triangular yeah. with the three lights, yeah. matched up exactly to the Denise case. I didn't know about it in 08 but now i do and it matched up perfectly i don't know what the answer is and there was a guy uh what's his name he put a curse on the field he was uh one of the big debunkers and i got these names have escaped me here on his deathbed uh philip class right philip k-l-a-s-s philip class on his deathbed he said you will never know any more about UFOs than you know today. On your deathbed, you will ask what a real, and you will know no more on your deathbed than I know today on my deathbed. And you will never know the answer to UFOs. And I, I always think about that because if it's interdimensional, then maybe you can't really get it. You can't grab it. You know, it's like a ghost. They has to dematerialize. It has to go back. I don't know. But it doesn't explain some of the crashes that I, you know, I think the 1936 one in the Black Forest was good. I think the Travis Walton was good. Or we're just dealing with multiple stuff. I don't know. Nice. And I don't think I'm ever going to know. <laughs> I, I, I think right now it's a mystery for all of us. I think uh, but that's the, the, the fun point of it is to talk to people like yourselves. Yeah, I and, like and, a good and, story. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the same, right? And and get to look at things from a different angle. And that's really the point of the podcast. We decided that we're going to give everybody a chance to give us, you know, what's your angle on this? What's, you yeah. know, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, Louis, do you have any final questions for our guest today? No, I just want to give a very uh, special thanks to John. Uh, it's been very informative. We'll have to do a part two of this because there's, so much more knowledge that you've uh, amassed oh, in your yeah. career an hour and change doesn't really do it justice. So yeah, go to my website, johnventry.com. My books are on Kindle and Nook. I, I actually have 102 lectures I've done at my house in that studio in Pittsburgh and they're out there, everything in the UFO and now paranormal stuff, they're all out there for people. And we could talk about almost any subject. <laughs> Well, we'll have you back on again one day soon, and we'll uh, we'll dive into some other areas, maybe not UFO related yeah, per se, because yeah. it is refreshing to get that perspective as well. So, okay, so thanks good. again, John. We loved having you, man. You're welcome back here anytime. All right, thank you.